We're going to turn to uh, Psalm 119 and verse number 73, and I'm going to cover just a couple of uh, verses out of verse uh, set, out of this set, this octet as they call it, uh, and then we'll get into the next one. Hopefully, um, we'll be able to finish the next one as well, the next set. So we'll start in verse number 73 after we pray, and we'll read down through verse number 88. Okay, let's pray together. Our Lord, thank you for the opportunity to meet together as, uh, as your people, as your church. Thank you for each and every person that's here and each and every person, though they can't be here in body yet, they're listening, <clears throat> they're with us in spirit and uh, are desirous to be here. Lord, thank you for those as well. Thank you especially for your word. Lord, I pray as we study your word, as we look at what your word says about itself, uh, that you would uh, please just encourage us, teach us those things that might, we might not know, remind us of those things that we do know, and Lord, help us especially to take the things that we know and actually use them and apply them and stir us up. And uh, Lord, I pray for your blessing upon our class. Lord, help me to help your people. I, indeed, I pray that you would help your people and that you would help our hearts to be open and receptive to your guidance and to your your voice and your spirit speaking to us. And uh, we commit these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's read verse number 73. Start there. The Bible says, um, just, just as a side note, as a trivia question, the uh, Hebrew letter that heads this set of eight is the Hebrew letter, it says Jod in your Bible, but it's actually Yod. And it's the, it's the same as, as the word used by the Lord when he talks about the law. He says, not one jot nor tittle shall fail until all be fulfilled. The word jot is he's referring to this Hebrew letter, which is the smallest Hebrew letter. So just that's just a little bit of trivia. All right. You say, well, why, why does it have a J and why does it have a, a, a D instead of a T? Don't get too hung up on that kind of thing because it's uh, D and T are actually basically the same letter. When you go into other languages, they, they kind of cross and in English, we make a distinction, but a lot, a lot of languages don't. All right, verse 73. Nerd out a little bit there for a second. All right. Thy hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn thy commandments. They that fear thee will be glad when they see me, because I have hoped in thy word. I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right, and that thou in faithfulness hast afflicted me. Let, I pray thee, thy merciful kindness be for my comfort, according to thy word unto thy servant. Let thy tender mercies come unto me, that I may live, for thy law is my delight. Let the proud be ashamed, for they dealt perversely with me without a cause, but I will meditate in thy precepts. Let those that fear thee turn unto me, and those that have known thy testimonies. Let my heart be Sound in thy statutes that I be not ashamed. Verse 81. My soul fainteth for thy salvation, but I hope in thy word. Mine eyes fail for thy word, saying, When wilt thou comfort me? For I am become like a bottle in the smoke, yet do I not forget thy statutes. How many are the days of thy servant? 
When wilt thou execute judgment on them that persecute me? The proud have digged pits for me, which are not after thy law. All thy commandments are faithful. They persecute me wrongfully. Help thou me. They had almost consumed me upon the earth, upon earth, but I forsook not thy precepts. Quicken me after thy loving kindness, so shall I keep the testimony of thy mouth. Okay. I'd like to look, we already looked at verse 73. We spent some time there talking about the idea of creation, how that, what we can understand uh, about our relationship to God and about, about what God knows of us, His relationship to us, based upon His creation of us, because we saw in verse 73 that God's creation of us is personal, that is, God created us Himself, and it's individual, that is, He created His own hands, created created us as individuals. And we saw that that fact alone, if there were no other verses in the Bible that dealt with this matter, that fact alone tells us that God knows us inside and out, through and through. He knows why we are the way we are. He knows our dispositions. He knows our, our habits. He knows our, our uh, tendencies. He, he made us. Now, we know that sin has corrupted us. We know that sin from our our father, our first father, Adam, has corrupted us. And so that part is not, is not the part that God, you know, obviously is not, uh, is not the, what I'm referring to. But everything about us, God has made us like that. And, you know, we think about what we see in the news, and we'll see a little bit more about that, this in a minute. This is, why, this is why the fact that we were born as a man, or we were born as a, I was born as a man, you were born as a woman, is a, is a feature of God's personal, individual creative act. So these things, these things that we see in the news where people want to change their gender and say they're, they're, you know, they're a, a woman who says she's trapped in a man's body, a, a, a man who says that he's trapped in a man's body, and so he says he's a woman, that is actually an act of, of total and absolute rebellion of God in his capacity as a creator. That's where it goes down. That's what it goes down to. Now, a lot of these people, a lot of these people have this problem because of harm that has come upon them through family members, sometimes through churches. In other words, there's often trauma related to it. That doesn't excuse it, of course, but it does. It does show that there's more to it uh, than than meets the eye. But ultimately, it, it is a, it is an act of rebellion against the Lord. And uh, and so, what I want you to understand is. Listen, when we, address, when we address what they call cultural issues like that, and we must do that, we must have an answer for these things that are ultimately satanic. We must have an answer. And the way that we have an answer is we take our worldview from the Scripture, and that informs our answer. So we say, no, it's not possible for a man to become a woman and a woman to become a man. It's not just a, listen now, it's not just a matter of science, although that's true, right? You have an XY chromosome or an XX chromosome, and that determines your, your, the, the sex and gender that you're born with, right? But that's not, that's not why we believe that. That helps. We believe it because we believe and, and know that God created us individually and personally, and he did it on purpose. So he made us the way we are. That's one reason why we should not be ashamed of that. And, I, of course, I'm not referring to the sinful part of us. So, 
Verse number 74, let's move on, says, They that fear thee will be glad when they see me, because I have hoped in thy word. If you look at verse 79, look what it says. Let those that fear thee turn unto me. Look at verse 63. These all say similar things. I am a, we've already studied this. I am a companion of all them that fear thee and of them that keep thy precepts. There's a very simple principle here. And this is a principle that we all need to understand as the church of God is this. You fear the Lord. I fear the Lord. When we have the opportunity to see one another, that's what the verse says in 74, right? They will be glad, they that fear thee will be glad when they see me. When we see each other, we bring joy to one another. Our body, as the, as the church of God, our body... God has designed this body such that we bring joy to one another. And that is, his, that is by design. So when you are here, sometimes, I, admittedly, I do, and I know sometimes you show up to church to meet with the church, and sometimes you're downtrodden maybe, you're discouraged, maybe you're confused, maybe you have issues at, at home, maybe you have issues at work, and you come, you know, with a heart that's really disheveled and not not really focused where it should be, but oftentimes, and I think you probably have had the same experience that I have, that by the time you leave, though, your heart has been gladdened. Now, your problems have gone away, but your heart has been gladdened. Do you know why? One of the reasons why? Because you have seen those that fear the Lord. It is important. It is important that you meet with fellow believers in the Lord. It is important. You being here encourages everyone else. And you not being in here being here takes away that opportunity to encourage everyone else. Now, I know when we were in Cambodia, Cambodia is a difficult mission field as far as that goes. It's it's unless you use gimmicks or some sort of dishonest means to get a, a big crowd, Cambodia generally speaking, most churches in Cambodia are small. You know what? That's really hard. When you show up to church and there's only one or two people there, do you know why that's hard? Because you, because we, we get, we get to, to use a, a trendy term, but just for lack of a, a better term, we get energy and help and encouragement from God's people meeting together. You see, it says, they that fear thee will be glad when they see me. So what does that tell me? I need to make sure that they see my face. That's what it tells me. I need to make sure that they see my face. Now, let me ask you a question. As a matter of, of truth, where do those that fear God meet on the earth? There's only one place. Where is it? It's at the church, the local church, at local churches. That's where the people of God, that's where those that fear God meet. They're not meeting at the park. They're not meeting at other places. They're meeting at the church. This is the, the designated, God-ordained way that God's people are to meet. And you know what? We encourage one another when we make that a priority. This is not just about, listen, uh, I was talking to David before the service and uh, Brother, Brother Vernon, he was talking about another church that has a, 
a Sunday school class and the class itself is 100 people. That's great. But it's not just about having numbers, obviously. It's not just about filling and and being able to, you know, uh, have a certain... A certain look on the bulletin or whatever when all of that all of that is reported and it's not about that at all it's about individuals coming together together to grow in the Lord and that's that is absolutely is God's will and that's been God's will from dispensation to dispensation not just in our time of the church but also in the time of Israel so and when you do that you encourage others of God's people listen to this verse in Romans 1 For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you in my prayers, making request, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. Listen to what Paul says to to the Romans. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end that ye may be established and that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Paul derived joy and comfort from seeing God's people. And listen, when you do not, of course we know people get sick, I'm not, we're not talking about that, but when we intentionally stay away from God's people, what we're doing is we are, we are taking away the opportunity of our face bringing joy to others of God's people. That's just a fact. That's just a fact. Because when I see you, I'm glad. It's like this verse says. When Pastor Stewart sees you, he's glad. And when we see each other, we should be glad. We should be glad. Look at verse 75. It says this, I know, O Lord that thy judgments are right and that thou in faithfulness hast afflicted me. We've already covered the second part of that verse, but look at the first part. I want to mention a a couple of the verses that I think are are worthy. Uh, In fact, can I get some help reading these? Um, Brother Ari, can you look at Psalm 119, verse 128? Joshua, Psalm 33, verse 4. And David, can you look at Psalm 19, verse 8? All right. So Ari, Psalm 119, 128, Joshua 33, Psalm 33, 4, and David, Psalm 19, 8. Now I'm going to read this verse one more time, and then they're going to read their verses, and you'll see kind of how they're, how they're common. All right, verse 75. I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right. Okay, go ahead there, Ari. I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. Anything the Bible touches. All right, go ahead, Joshua. For the word of God is right, and all his works are done in truth. The word of the Lord. (laughs) Our mind plays tricks on us. The word of the Lord is right. You see that? uh, 19 verse 8. See, that's right. The Word of God is right. Now, real quick. I want to touch on some of these these issues that we see a lot today. These debates, these philosophies. 
these uh, ideas that float around in society. <clears throat> Here's a few of them. We already talked about creation versus evolution, right? That's something people talk about and debate. Christians is, of course, not. I think last week I mentioned how that the pastor of Saddleback Church, Rick Warren, who wrote The Purpose Driven Life and The Purpose Driven Church, uh, has abandoned the scriptural teaching on, on, on a number of these things that I'm going to mention here, but the, especially the second one, which is human sexuality. What, do, what, is, what is right, what is wrong about being a homosexual? All right? You think about creation, evolution, human sexuality, the ideas of people who are unmarried living together. That's a, listen now, that is a very common thing these days. I mean, it is nothing. Now, if you go back 50 years, it was, it was taboo. It's not taboo anymore. Almost everyone lives together before they get married. Is that not right, David? If they get married at all. That's a good point. It's not taboo in this world anymore. Now, it might be taboo to you and to me, but it's not taboo in this world. It is nothing to be thought of. In fact, people think it's wise to do that so that you know what it's like to, to be married before you do. Even if they don't live together, though, the idea that they have that kind of relationship before they're actually married is nothing. We're talking 9.9 .9 out of 10 people, okay? This is nothing in this world. It is not rare, <laughs> rather the opposite. Here's another common thing that is discussed. Husband and wife roles. This is a big thing with the fit, what they call it, like second, third wave feminist movement. You know, the idea that the husband and wife, and if you've done any study on this, you've probably heard the terms complementarianism and stuff like that. Listen, this is something that is debated. But we're not going to talk, I'm not, I'm not addressing all of these issues. I'm just telling you that in our day, these things are talked about a lot. The way you should raise your child, whether you should use corporal punishment, how you should use corporal punishment, the use of pornography, the use of social media. You say, well, the Bible doesn't have anything to say about, the, about that. Contraire. The way we use our phones, the way we use the television, the way we use our computer and the internet, those are things that the Bible does address in principle. The use of alcohol, whether it's permitted for a Christian to drink alcohol. What a Christian should wear, clothing guidelines. The Bible says something about that, right? Again, these are issues that people debate whether people should have a work ethic, whether they should be hardworking people is just a matter of life. How about this one? The influence of Eastern religion, things like karma, things like reincarnation, these have permeated our society. They have been integrated into, into uh, popular thought. You think, about, you think about stuff, especially with the modern media, Science fiction. You know, people talking about and wondering if there are aliens. A lot of these questions that don't have answers. Here's the thing. <clears throat> I think about my own daughter, and, you know, even as she, she works at Belt, <clears throat> and how frequently she, she's faced with people who are dishonest. You know? 
Here's the thing. Why do I bring up all that? Not to address every one of those, for we sure don't have time to address every one of those. Here's, but here's how we come at every one of those issues and every other issue. All right? So this is just a kind of a general guideline about how we come at these issues. Here's our, our starting place. You ready? Here it is. God's word is right. Doesn't matter who agrees or disagrees. It doesn't matter the prominence of whoever disagrees or agrees. It doesn't matter what Elon Musk thinks or President Joe Biden or President Donald Trump. It doesn't matter what the religious people, the John MacArthur's or even Charles Stanley, good, bad, what, it doesn't matter. We come at all of these issues and every other issue with this from this perspective, God, God's word is right. You start there. And from that position, you find out what God's word says touching that, and that's where you fall. That's where we fall. And you know what? That's going to put us on the opposite side of pretty much every issue <laughs> to this world. That has to be a fundamental thing. Listen, and the problem is, the problem is this, in a lot of these issues, let me give you an example. I'll, I'll give you a personal example. I have a neighbor. I was talking to this man, and he, at that, when I, when I was talking with him, this is probably over a year ago, when I was talking with him, his son was there and his son's wife. And they're, they're young, they're probably in their early 20s, and they hadn't been married that long. And he told me, actually at that point, they were, they were about to get married. If I remember right, they were almost married, about ready to get married, but they were going on a trip to Europe together. Okay? And what, here's what he said to me. He's an older man, and, it, and here's what he said to me. He said, he said that, and obviously, you know, it, it raises questions, right? Two young people who are not married going on a trip, and this man is a, is a professing Christian, right? But it raises questions about, okay, how is this going to work? Well, you shouldn't ask, oh, you should ask questions like this, okay? I didn't ask questions, I'm just listening. And he said, he kind of was a little bit sheepish about it. He said, well, you know, young people these days. No. No, I don't know young people these days. What does God say? He was afraid to call it out in his son. Here's the thing. It doesn't matter if your son or daughter or my son or daughter does it. God's word is right. It doesn't matter if all of society does it. God's word is right always. You say, well, some people might say, well, that's a circular argument. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because the origin is God. The origin of the world is God. The origin of our life is God. The origin of rational thinking is God. The origin of truth is God. He is truth. So we start from a position of faith. And that's how we address all of these issues, no matter what the issue is. The problem is, though, is that when we have, here's what usually happens among Christian, I use that term loosely, among Christian types when we deal with issues like I just listed, is we have an end point that we want to arrive at to start. That's the problem. 
There's a destination that we have our eyes set upon that we want to arrive at, and we are going to do and argue and say whatever is necessary, and we're going to interpret the Bible upon that basis so that it will justify the destination that we've already determined that we want to be at. I'll give you an example. I'm, you guys aren't helping me at all because I wanted to get through our next set, and I'm not, getting, I'm not doing very well. I remember when I was at, I went, I, I don't mind, I, I, listen, I don't, I'm not attacking people, whatever. I'm just telling you the way it happened, okay? If you don't want, if you don't want to be used as an illustration of something bad, then don't do the bad, okay? <laughs> when I was a teenager, this is before I got saved, I was 14 or 15 years old, I went to Berea First Baptist Church, all right? And I went to their youth meeting. It was like on a Wednesday night where it was just, just the youth group. And at the youth group, they were playing a video. A video like on the old-timey CRT television, you know, the kind you had to have like lift weights for two years to be able to lift. So they were playing, a, 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 they had a videotape and they were playing it and it was about Sodom and Gomorrah. And in that video, the narrator was describing how that lot offered his daughters to the wicked men of Sodom. And the narrator said that the reason Lot did that and then the reason why God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah was because in the Eastern culture, being hospitable was the most important thing. And so rather than shaming those men that came and, and, and did that in Sodom when they came to Lot's house. Rather than that, Lot was actually being hospitable by offering his daughters to, uh, to be abused. And so really, Sodom and Gomorrah really wasn't, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah was really a matter of inhospitality rather than sodomy. Here's the thing, Joseph. They had a destination they wanted to go to, which is excusing what is unnatural, an unnatural abomination in the sight of God. That's where they wanted to end up. They wanted that to be no problem. And so they were willing to take the Bible and change it and twist it and ignore certain parts, you know, do whatever is necessary to the Bible in order to get to that destination. And that was being shown to a youth group at a prominent Baptist church in Greenville, South Carolina in the 90s. All right? You see, here's the difference. They didn't start with the Bible's right. God's, God's word is right. Right? And so that's, that's one example of how we take issues like homosexuality. Listen now, man, I'm just, I'm not doing well at all. This should this this that issue and others like it should not be a question. But yet they are among Christians. If you were to ask and survey ten Christians, just random people who identify themselves as Christians, and you were to say, What do you think about a, a man a man and a man or a woman and a woman engaging in that kind of activity? And most of them would say, Well, you know, if you know they, they what they do in their private life is not my business. We have ceded ground to this world 
It is, it is, no, it's not my business what they do, but it is God's business, and God is unequivocal. He is plain spoken about that sin, and it is vile in God's sight. We don't need to, listen, we don't need to pull back from that. And this is, I only use that as one example issue. We don't need to pull back from that. No, we need to say, what does God say? That's where, that's where we are. And we're going to say it just as he says it. You see, that's what it means to say and to affirm and to assert the word of the Lord is right. Or as in our verse, I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right. All right, let's go to the 11th set in the last four minutes that we have. (laughs) Look at what it says in the first three verses. My soul fainteth for thy salvation, but I hope in thy word. Mine eyes fail for thy word, saying, When wilt thou comfort me? For I am become like a bottle in the smoke, yet do I not forget thy statutes. Notice that. Bottle in the smoke. If you've, ever, if you've never seen a bottle, don't, think, don't get in your mind a Coke bottle because this is not what it's referring to here. <laughs> Bottles in the Scripture were made of? Huh? Well, that would be a pot. But a bottle would be leather, which is made from animal skins. You know what? I, I saw a missionary over at Tabernacle during their missions conference, and he, he was a missionary to Africa, and he brought a biblical bottle as part of his display. It was an animal skin that held liquid. It was sewn together and held liquid. Nasty. People drank out of that. That's just gross. But that's why I was born in 1981 and, and not in, you know, 200 B.C. or whatever. But that's what that, they would take that and when they wanted to, when they emptied it and they wanted to dry it out, they would hang it up in the house or at a place where the, near the fire and near the smoke and the heat of that would dry it out. But the idea is it became dry without moisture. It's, it's saying essentially the same thing as verses one and two. So this is, or verses 81 and 82. So this is a, a, a person who believes in the Lord. He, the psalmist loves God, but he's come on rough times because people are persecuting him, chasing him, setting traps for him. He's discouraged. He's calling out to God. He feels like his strength is spent. He feels like he's about to faint. He can't hold out anymore. He needs comfort. People are digging pits. He feels consumed. He needs to be quickened. But notice he turns to God's word for hope, verse 81, for comfort, verse 82, and for stability in verse 83 and 86 and 87. So the trouble comes upon him from others, but he turns to God's word. Now notice the psalmist, and of course I'll pick up next week with this, but notice the psalmist complains. We'll finish with this. The psalmist complains, but notice he's complaining to God. Now follow this. He says, uh, Mine eyes fail for thy word, saying, When wilt thou comfort me? God, when are you going to help me? I'm spent. I have no more strength. When are you going to help me? Where are you? Now, I'm going to say something, and maybe we'll have to continue next week, but but just listen to the principle of this. Complaining to God is okay. Complaining of God is not. 
Complaining to God is okay. Many times you find the psalmist complaining to God, pouring out his complaint. And you know, Job is a good example of that. Job complained to God, God, where are you at? Why are you, why are you doing this to me? Why, is, why have you turned your hand against me? Job says, I'm paraphrasing, but that's what Job says. But the problem Job got into is when he started com- to complain about God to others. That's different. Because now you're evil affecting the minds of others against the Lord, and you're doing it wrongly, but you're affecting others. When we have a complaint, God knows we're weak. Remember, He fashioned us with His hands. He knows we're but dust. It was dust that He held when He fashioned us, right? He knows we're nothing. He knows we're weak and we, 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 are, we faint easily. So when we come to him with a complaint, we say, Lord, would you please help me? I'm, I, I'm spent. I'm fainting. I can't, I can't hold up under this. It's okay if we complain to him. But it's when we complain to others to affect their view of God. Now, now, now we have a problem. Now we have a problem. Thomas Manton says, said this, Let us complain not of God, but to God. Let us not let that sink in. Let us not let us complain not of God, but to God. Complaints of God are a vent to murmuring, but complaints to God to faith, hope, and patience. You see, the, the psalmist is complaining. He's he's fainting. He's consumed. He's spent like a bottle of smoke. His moisture's dried up. He's he he has nothing left. Right. But the very fact that he's waiting on God, the very fact that his heart is, is, it feels like it's spent means, means that he spent a lot of time hoping in the Lord, right? It just hasn't come quite yet, but it shows that he has faith. And see, when we complain to God, that's what we're doing. Lord, you are my solution. Lord, you are my salvation. You can help me. You, are, you can provide the way out of this. You can provide the thing that I need. You can work in that heart. You can do whatever, whatever it is that's causing me this, this grief. When we take our complaint to God, we're expressing faith because we're looking to the one who can help. But when we're complaining to others, we're trying to harm their relationship to God. We want them to feel about God the way we feel about God, which isn't right. See, that's the difference. So when you feel from time to time, like you want to complain. You want to you whine about how bad things are. And I'll be honest with you, yesterday I got news that I want to complain about. <laughs> Seriously. But when you want to complain, you know what we should do? Take it to God. Complain all you want in His ear. That's what you do. Take it to Him. Let's pray.